Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to episode three, but we've changed the name now. So it was totally not addicted to drugs and now we're going to change it to Probably Honest. So this is episode three of the Probably Honest podcast and I'm going to go back and badly dub over the previous episodes or just keep them. But you've spoiled the magic now by telling people that you're... That we changed the name and also that you're going to re-edit. But there'll be three episodes in, so they've <laughs> that I've done that. So now I'll be like, oh, that's why it went really odd for that period of time. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're, we're here, we're vibing. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, if you're listening to this episode, first, my name is Dan. My name's Mark. Hello. Hello. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I like the way that you introduce the podcast when you say, hello, yeah. and then you pause. It's always like an awkward thing to start the podcast, isn't it? To, like, to actually start saying words into a microphone, because there's, no, yeah. there's almost no reason to be speaking into the microphone at that time, is there? There might still not be a reason. <laughs> this might be, you know, the third, into the third hour of pointlessness. Maybe. You know, there might be someone who's like really struggling with their addictions, listen to us for two minutes and be like, nah. I'm going to go use. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they're like, I'm going to go use whilst listening to these two people. Yeah. Because they're... They're kind of cool. They're mildly entertaining. So yeah. maybe this will spice up my drug use. <laughs> if you are thinking about going to use now, don't. Yeah, don't do it. Don't do it. 
Uh, Wait until the end of the podcast, and if you still want to use, by all means, crack on. I've just pressed the button, so I don't know if I've now made you a lot louder, but we'll just roll with it. Mm. Um, So yeah, this is the Probably Honest podcast. That's more of a ring to it. Mm. And uh, if you are uh, not familiar with what we're trying to do, we're too youngish. I mean, you're pretty old now. I am, yeah. Yeah. I'm really young. Mm. Actually, I'm not the youngest I could be. Dan's 26 and I'm 32. That's yeah. you, you decide whether who's old and who's young in this scenario. Yeah. I just, I just rant about my problems and then mm. you give me advice and then it's the end of an episode. Yeah, nice. But that's not the intention. The intention is we're two uh, young males uh, in recovery from drug, alcohol and other addictions, uh, eating disorders. Mm. Uh, I've had a fair go at love addiction You've had As some I, familiar, yeah. Yeah. familiarities with it. Um, we're not intentionally trying to tick a box of addictions just to kind of, you know, bucket list. Yeah. It's just kind of happened. Um, and the podcast, much like the name suggests, is uh, us sh- sharing honestly about uh, our journey and w- things that we've learned along the way. Uh, episode two, we finished off with um, some highly amusing comments from Mark about how we should talk about honesty and how you are honestly going to completely spend the whole episode talk about honesty. Mm. And I didn't find it that amusing, but you were having a great time and I remember that. So I yeah, thought yeah. to amuse you, yeah, talk yeah. about honesty. Good. Don't know where to start on that. Okay. Can I start? Yeah. What was your experience of honesty before... Before you got clean, were you honest? What was what was what was your relationship to honesty? Did you feel like honesty was a necessity in the same way you do now? Uh, it's really interesting because um, when I think of it now, I relive the emotional attachment and responses I had to when something would pop up, which would, in that moment, require me. You know, it's just the world saying, "Hey, why don't you just tell the truth?" Yeah, and I will physically like tense up and panic or get emotional and come up with literally anything to avoid just saying the truth. And and very briefly before I dive into that more, I've learned <laughs> in the last four years of being sober that just saying it how it is or telling what you believe to be true is way easier. Mm. Um, but yeah, I was... Um, I was someone that would uh, bounce around the truth or white lie or sometimes just straight up, you know, come up with terrible excuses and reasons. Um, The most obvious one would be like a step one, uh, 12-step excuse, which would, uh, uh, you know, powerlessness type example, which would be um, powerless and unmanageability example would be, uh, okay, telling my family or you know that i would have a therapy session when i was like 16 or 17 uh they would then transfer money into my account and i would suddenly cancel on the therapist saying that i'm ill then he wouldn't charge me and then i would go and pick up yeah i hope they're listening yeah yeah because yeah. they don't know that yeah i did exactly the same thing yeah for quite a period of time yeah same. I, I just i went to one therapy session my parent when i was this was when i was in bristol i went to one therapy session didn't like the therapist didn't want to carry on going 
told my parents I was carrying on going and they, they continued to bank transfer me this money uh, on a weekly basis for me to go to this therapy session. I think it was like 60 quid or something like that. Hmm. And I kept it going to the point where it got, unbe- uh, the guilt became unbelievable because um, they were asking me obviously how therapy was going and was it helping and all this kind of stuff. And I was literally taking their money and spending it on drugs and food and yeah. just whatever. So yeah. I mean, at the time, the first few times I did it, I was like, wow. Yeah. This is so great. I'm a genius. I'm a criminal genius. I'm, I'm Al Capone <laughs> in Kingston, London. <laughs> shout, out, shout out to Kingston, London. Shout out to Kingston, Places. London. Places of people. Mm. Um, so that's like an obvious lie that yeah. I would tell. And I wouldn't, I, you know, a, a mark of it is that I literally just said, I hope they aren't listening. I still haven't told them that I was doing that. Mm. Maybe I'll do that on the next round of steps. Mm. Um, and later on down the line, it would be things like whether, um, you know, it's such, like, such simple things. Like if I was maybe using and I went to catch up with some mates or if I was like dating someone and they were like, oh, are you okay? You look a bit unwell or what have you been up to? Just like, Oh, I just, you know, yeah, I'm feeling under the weather or, uh, yeah, I've just been like chilling out and doing uni work when actually I've just been sat in my room taking drugs. Yeah. And it's such a simple thing, but it's just like in the back of my mind, every time I'd always be like, yeah, it's not normal that I'm doing that. Um, but then it progressed to, um, it's, it's really difficult because I've kind of blocked out a lot of the memories of when I was using. Um, but a lot of the times were just me trying to cover up the fact that I was using. And, uh, and, and you know, for example, if I went shoplifting and got arrested, I'd even make excuses then. I'd still forfeit the blame on taking responsibility when it's obvious that I've just robbed from the shop because they're holding the things that I was trying to rob. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, well, I didn't know what I was thinking. I was unwell, this, yeah, this yeah. kind of thing. Um, and I remember it became more and more of a thing when uh, I had a, an ex-girlfriend who the trust thing between us was like a real thing. It was almost more important than the actual enjoyment of the relationship was the fact that we needed to trust each other. Yeah. And in that relationship, there was the first examples of me becoming completely honest and being true with myself and someone else. Because in, yeah. in therapy, I used to just go, when I would go to a session, I would just rail off drugs I've been taking. Yeah. I was never talking about how I feel. I was, I was always, and, and this is another thing that I find is real subtle dishonesty and, and ways to avoid it, is if you go to a therapy session or you're talking to someone about how you are and you just talk about other people, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been hanging out with so and so. They've been doing they've they they. It's never talking about me and uh deflecting it so yeah, that yeah, nothing's yeah. ever about me. And um and yeah, it became more dominant in a relationship I was in because um she didn't trust the fact that I'd had pre- remarkably previous partners before her and she thought that they were going to pop up any moment and I was so for some reason scared of this kind of life that I've had before that I hid a lot of stuff and then it became more of a problem because I was hiding things that didn't need to be hid because they weren't part of that relationship then. So I'd just be like sweaty, nervous, kind of 
stuttery and be like, oh, I don't know. And they'll be like, who's that? Why have you got a message from them from a month ago before we met? And I'll be like, well, you know, I wouldn't just, I would never just say, well, it's nothing. It was something and now it's not. I'd just be like, I don't know. Um, well, you know, this kind of weird, yeah. silly thing now. And um, yeah, getting loads of arguments. And then that escalated to the first acts of honesty, which were, um, uh, I remember very clearly, this same person said, you seem like such a lovely guy. What's the catch? And I was like, oh, I'm a, a drug addict and an alcoholic. And I've never... I've said that in so many meetings. That was the first time I just like unrelentlessly blurted out the truth. And that felt really freeing. And, uh, and again, you know, a year and a half later in, in towards the, uh, well, actually not towards the end of the relationship, about halfway through that relationship where we like broke up for a bit. And I, it was when I really surrendered to become clean because of some events that happened, uh, that, re- you know, was, my I'm fed up rock bottom type thing um I remember calling up my mum and just telling her everything because I'd been arrested a few times and she'd be come to pick me up or something and I would still avoid it then I'd be like well I had a problem it's or but it's going to be fixed now or the drugs that I had on me weren't mine I was just you know holding on to them for a mate like that's just lies and um and then just, yeah, that last time I used when I just like lost my phone, lost my wallet, girlfriend had broken up with me, woke up, you know, in a friend's house with no one around. And I'm like, how did I get here? I'm hanging out at Turbo Island in Bristol the night before with, you know, you know, the kind of people that hang out there and me thinking, yeah, this is where I belong. So I just rang up my mum and was like, told her everything. And she was like, oh. I thought, you know, I thought you'd stopped and be like, no, and then just kept going, just kept railing off every bit of information I could. And that was the kind of the shift, you know, I want to know about your, your experience, but because I can go off into one now, but that was the shift from going from this stuttery, coming out of shit excuses, avoiding telling the truth and, um, and not being in touch with my own feelings and always devoid and always deflecting it to talk about other people mm. towards the start to take ownership of what I was doing and the actions and then going to meetings and starting to bit by bit talk about myself saying what I'm trying to do even if it didn't really make sense to me but yeah yeah so that was that kind of moment what about or, you know, either what about you or what do you have to say about that? <laughs> what I have to say about that is that rem- there are remarkable similarities in in our, uh, even even in intricate behaviors, like when I got caught shoplifting saying I had a problem or it was an ill, whatever it was, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but that, that confession moment you had with your mum, I had that with my mum and I had that with my parents on a few occasions, but I had it in the one that stands out in my memory towards the end of my using. I actually wrote an email to my mother and uh, basically just documented the entirety of what was going on in my life, like what I'd been doing, the drugs I'd been using, what I'd been, I'd been lying to them, all this kind of stuff. And, um, and she read it and I felt remarkably freed by it. So I, I understood that, like, and it sounded like when you were talking there as well, you got an understanding of the value of confession 
and like being honest and like basically, you know, because it, it's, you know, regardless of what you think about the Christian faith or anything like that, they understand the value of confession. They have a whole, a, a large amount of it is based on confessing your sins. So basically being honest about things that you have done that you're ashamed of and by doing so you become free of those things. And um, there's definitely a tradition of that in recovery, isn't there, with step four and five of confessing, basically documenting things that you've done and then confessing those things in as honest and objective a way as possible to become free of them. And you do become free of them, which is miraculous. And it's interesting that we both had that experience towards the end of our using where we basically reeled off this confession to not even like, you know, the same parents, both mothers, and told them what was going on for us and felt a sense of freedom from doing that, even though nothing in our lives had probably, nothing in my life had changed by that point. I was still using but I told someone about what was going on and my mum handled it reasonably well too. She didn't, she didn't like, you know, run for the hills. You know, and I told her some pretty grim stuff. I told her I'd been using crack and I'd been using heroin and that's quite grim stuff for you to hear about your child. So, but she handled it well. And I think that was kind of a good precursor to me starting to, to open up in recovery. But it's interesting, like the pre, pre kind of recovery stuff, I, I understood the value of honesty. I really did. Um, and it pained me when I used to lie. It really did. And, and I used to, and it was interesting because I could always, like you were saying, I could always justify why I was lying about stuff or, you know, you could, well, you can always rationalize it, can't you? You can always rationalize why you are telling a lie. And, um, you know, I'd come up with such elaborate lies hmm. and then elaborate reasons as to what, like, I don't know if I've told this, to you, this one to you before, but I needed some money to pay someone off. Um, so... Uh, there was a work event at my company where some a group of people at work were being taken to the Oval to play cricket um, for a team. And I was invited to go, but I couldn't do it for some reason. But I, my dad loves cricket and I needed money. So I invented that I was going to that cricket match. And in order for me to go, I needed like, I needed to pay a certain amount of money for travel and stuff. So I, I like, I robbed him of a load of money that he sent to me and he would, but it got worse because I just decided to double down for no reason. And I was like, I, I went online. So I, I like, I created, uh, I sent him a false email. Um, <laughs> I genuinely, I sent him a false email with my bank details yeah. for a different bank account for him to send the money to saying, this is from, uh, I won't say the person's name because he, he still works at the company, but I, there was another person with my initials and surname. So I just invent, I basically doctored an email, sent it, forwarded it to my dad, got my dad to send money to that bank account, um, which he did with, without question. And then on the day where I was meant to be there, I obviously wasn't there. So I went online, Googled pictures of the Oval, took a photo on my phone of a picture on a screen, sent it to my dad and was like, just arriving and stuff like that. And I was like, but as I was doing that, I was like, oh, this is for the best. You know, it's best that he doesn't know what I'm trying to pay money for. But it's best that he doesn't know this stuff. But like, I was, I wasn't fucked when I was doing those things. Like I was stone cold sober when I was making those things up. Yeah. You knew what you were doing. I knew exactly what I was doing. And, um, but I rationalized it to a point of, well, it's, it's a necessity. I have to do it because I owe this money and I need to pay it. And, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, I've got very, just whilst I remember it, I've got yeah, a very don't... similar story. And this used to happen. This wasn't a thing that I, you know, there's the, when you go to meetings, you realize that even though close, 
I'm not going to be too judgmental. People that might be of a different mindset towards people with addiction issues think that they're scums of the streets and, and idiots and lowlifes. Mm. Actually, very intelligent, scheming yeah, people. Because yeah, yeah. so, forgetting you and me, the amount of stories you hear of how people used to go about getting their money yeah, yeah, yeah. just to pick up. Like when you take that away from them and you hear them get clean and you hear them get honest, you yeah. hear this remarkable brain come out of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I used to do very similar stuff where I'd come up with a holiday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, this is when I'm going. Yeah. Realistically, I'd be like hanging out at a really grotty friend's house for like five days. Yeah, yeah, Where you'd yeah. just be picking up, yeah. going and getting pissed or going to different people's houses and sleeping on their floors. It's yeah, not yeah. quite a holiday. Yeah. With the money that I could have afforded to, to, go, on to go on a nice holiday, yeah, yeah, I would yeah. be doing that instead with a, an abundance of like drugs to take yeah. and um, different locations. But the thing that I think is quite, uh, you know, clever of me to do yeah. is I'd space out, you know, I wouldn't use that card too much because I can't think I'm going on holidays all the time, yeah. maybe once or twice a year. I'd be like, oh, we might go away there. Oh, there's a festival on. Yeah, yeah, Certain yeah. variations, but I couldn't get away with that too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that worked. Yeah. So yeah, completely connect with that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's mad, isn't it? You, when you're doing those ones, those are the ones you notice where you're like, I know that this is a bad lie. And then you kind of, either you, you block it out or you rationalize why you're telling that particular lie or you come up with a narrative as to why well I used to come up with narratives as to why my parents were cunts and I, they deserved me taking money from them or they owed me for whatever it was for the childhood I had or whatever it was um, but that that stuff is more obvious but then like so the the bit that I want to get to in this podcast this is not that I'm not that I'm trying to lead it in a certain direction but um, I because I they're obviously different types of honesty and dishonesty aren't there there's like there's honestly telling someone an objective truth isn't there mm -hmm. where like i am i've been using drugs i've been um stealing money from you i've been lying to you all this kind of stuff that's quite um that's just like you know just stating facts truthfully that's like that's that's important that's an important skill but i think the thing that seems to be take take precedence in recovery over others things is telling the truth about myself to myself and i think that is a much more difficult form of honesty to get to which is why i think the 12 steps are so important because they give you that ability to look at yourself and be honest about yourself so like you know you were saying earlier when you're in uh, like in your experience of therapy where you're talking about oh they did this or they did that and you can be honest about that stuff you can say that person did do that thing but if you're not saying that person did that thing and i felt insecure because uh i can't do that thing or i like you're not really being honest about the situation yeah um and that's kind of i kind of want to know what your experience of that is in terms of coming into recovery because I don't really think about it that much until I came into recovery about literally looking at myself and go, because I think the first part of that is when you make that admission, when you get into recovery of I am an addict and my life is at present, my life is fucked. 
I think that's people's first admission of that kind of looking at themselves and going, fuck, I am. Mm. I am. And that's like proper honesty being like, I can't control my drug use. Um, and that there's no two ways for me to cut it. I can't control it. So I, I kind of want to hear about what your experience of that is. This is quite difficult. Uh, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm going to find this one difficult to answer because it's quite layered. Mm. Uh, and it's it's re- it's actually like a lot more in depth than than one might think initially. So yeah, I was very much would n- struggle to even understand the idea of claiming an emotion to be my own. Yeah, and I'd be in therapy or talking to my sponsor, and they'd be like, "How how are you feeling?" Yeah, yeah and I'd yeah. be like, "Well, this uh, go off on another story about yeah, the day. Yeah, I'd yeah. never say." I'm angry. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. sad. Yeah. And was it to the point where you didn't think you had emotions? Because I genuinely, yeah. when I came into recovery, I was like, I don't know what people are talking about all these feeling stuff. I don't. I I can recognise extreme feelings, but I couldn't tell you an emotion I had during the course of a day or anything like that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think towards the end, I was so lost that I forgot what. I think it's forgetting what emotions were. Um. Oh man, just those first months of getting clean. It's like, you have n- I was just completely wired. I liken it to waking up. This is, this is something that I experience a lot. And I don't know if everyone else does. Waking up and I go straight to my phone and then go straight on the laptop. And I spent like four or five hours without having a break from screen time. Yeah. And then I close down and I go about my day and I'm absolutely zonked out and yeah. I have no idea what's going on yeah. and I can't think and calm down that for me was like the first five six months of recovery where I was just like I have no idea what's happening well how am I feeling um and it was through the steps that I really started to try and write down and talk about the things that I had done that I felt needed to be looked at, but I found it very difficult to still take the responsibility and the acknowledgement that that was me. (laughs) Um, You know, it was all about, it was only until step four, really, uh, which is quite difficult to summarize on a, on a, in a few sentences, but yeah, looking at resentments and my part, that was the thing. That was the, the breaking point, I think. Yeah. The, the real shift was that combined with a therapist who was amazing at the time saying, how do you feel? How is, what's the feeling there? You're not talking about how you're feeling. And then having my sponsor say, what is your part in yeah. this resentment? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and just having, I don't know how you did yours, but there's like the, we did columns and then at the end you had like your part, your, your, your action, your emotion and the action and just labeling them. Uh, that really shifted bit by bit. Uh, like the changing of the weather and you're just like, well, not now the climate's just rapidly rain sunshine. But back then (laughs) it was like, okay, so that uh, this is anger this is sadness this is happiness um you know and it's really strange to say out loud my step six and seven just like 
really starting to see my behaviors. So I've got the emotions down. I've got how I'm behaving and how I'm responding to those behaviors of me. No, no one else. There's no one else I can blame here. The resentments now are my actions. Yeah. And, and also learning. You know, when it's like, that period of time allowed me to be like, if I respond to someone in a really bizarre way, maybe I snap at someone for no reason, or, I, or I'm thinking in a certain way, I can pause now and say, I wonder what's underneath that? Where's that coming from? Yeah. Why is that happening? And I never used to be able to do that. And that's, that's the kind of the honesty to be like, there's something happening within me. I can't blame anyone else here. It's me that's doing this, this thinking. Um, mm-hmm. by, by steps six and seven, they're kind of looking at my defects. It's kind of, I've established what things feel like and why I feel them and that I'm not abnormal. And then it was looking at what events am I holding on to that are, chain, uh, are, are current within behaviours of my day and my, and my thinking yeah, and the most important thing that anyone ever said to me was probably my sponsor and just saying, you know, go easy on yourself. You know, forgive, you know, you're not you're not a bad person. This is fine. Just saying it's okay. Um and yeah, that kind of shift to taking responsibility which eventually led to, you know, going and making amends to people. But just unable to argue that I am the I am in control of the emotions and behaviors. Shout out to Eckhart Tolle for saying, you know, it's all within us. If I want to be present, I can just decide to be present right now. If I want to be acknowledging that I'm angry, if I want to avoid anger, I can choose to do that. Uh, and that's all through these kind of that that process of talking to people and having people being really blunt and saying. That's not, that's no one else doing that. That's you. <laughs> Hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, it does. I think, um, yeah, again, we had very similar experiences. I think with step four, for those that, that don't know what it is, um, the, the actual wording of the step is uh, you make a searching and fearless moral inventory of yourself. Um, and by that, you just basically it's like creating an inventory or a document for your entire life. And you look at your, re- re- your resentments, uh, your fears, your past relationships, your sexual history, your any secrets you might have. Um, and you basically document them all. And then in the fifth step, you share them with, uh, normally your sponsor or just with another person. Um, and that similar, similar for me, that was kind of the, the turning point of looking at myself because I, I think there's a, like, there's a particular kind of magic to writing stuff down, um, or answering, answering questions or looking at something in a structured way and writing it down because you don't realize that you're really being that honest as you're writing them. Cause you're, you're trying in your head, you're like, Oh, what is, I don't know about you, but when I'm writing step work in particular, I always think if I'm not being honest, this is a waste of my time. This is, this would be to sit here and not be honest would be a dramatic waste of everyone's time. So I'm, I might as well be honest. I'm, I'm big on not wasting my time, so I might as well be honest. Um, but there is a particular magic to writing that stuff down. And then when you read it out, and I, I don't know if you have this experience as well, but when I read stuff out in my step work, I'm always surprised at how honest I've been in it. And was like, oh, fuck, that's, that's really true. That's like, I didn't, 
I wouldn't have expected that. And I think there's a difference to say the conversation you and I are having now versus me writing something down and then reading it out to you without trying to edit myself or without trying to uh, make myself look better or seem better than I am because I, I, I'm unconsciously doing that now. Like in every interaction I have, I'm unconsciously editing what I'm saying to make myself sound better uh, based on what I think you want to hear from me and what I think people who are listening to this want to hear from me. And I'll edit myself based on that. Whereas when I'm doing step work, I'm writing it down objectively and I have to kind of, I, I make a commitment to myself that I'm going to read it out without skipping anything or changing anything or anything like that. So there's a particular power to that. But I think it was it was in the resentments, writing the resentments, I think that I got the most kind of revelation and it was in the, the section about writing about my part in stuff and I realized that the majority of my resentments were based on these very unrealistic perfectionist expectations I had of myself and of other people particularly other people and um and I realized looking at that stuff like I had you know I'm sure you had the same I had big resentments against my parents um and they were based on me judging them for how them just being human and having flaws and weaknesses and difficulties in their marriage and their relationship. And, you know, my expectation of them was I should have perfect parents, but nobody has perfect parents. No one does. Um, so the problem in the resentment there isn't that my parents are imperfect. The problem is I think that they should be perfect. And, you know, when I look at my kind of relationship history, I've never had a relationship that's lasted longer than two years. My parents have been married for 40 odd years. So, you know, I don't know what their experience of their relationship is. I don't know what their personal histories are with their families. I have an idea, but I don't know how it affects them and how they interact with each other. So I'm not in a position to judge them. And that was that was the freeing aspect of looking at looking at my part going, okay, I have unrealistic expectations of my family. I'm deeply self-righteous because I think I know what's best and how things should be. Um, I'm arrogant to assume that I would be better in the situation they're in. Um, and that's quite a freeing experience. That's quite like when you look at that stuff and go, oh, the reason I feel so angry and resentful towards my parents is not because of them being the way they are. It's because of my expectations about the situation and what I believe in this situation. And all I need to do to get rid of that resentment, which is hurting me, it's not hurting them, is to just drop those things. Yeah. Um, and, that's, and that changed my relationship with my parents. That's like dramatically changed my relationship with them. Um, it didn't fix everything in our relationship, but it, it changed it for the better. Mm. Um, and that was, that was kind of the magic of like that self-honesty stuff, that ability to look at myself and be honest about myself. Um, and it's such like an ongoing process as you were talking, then I was thinking about how like, it's just cause I, like, I think at the moment, I think I'm deceiving myself in a lot of areas in my life. Or, or will, well, not even deceiving myself, because I don't think it's that possible to deceive yourself. I think you always know, really, if you're not doing the right thing. And I think, particularly in the area of relationships and sex, um, I am not being honest about my intentions of why I'm acting out in the way I am. And it's, and it's, and I know it's not right because it's causing me pain. And yeah. I, can, I can feel the dissatisfaction and the pain in my interactions because I'm trying to use women and sex in a way that is... It, I'm trying to use them to fix an internal condition in myself that they can't fix. Yeah. And I know I'm doing that. And it's, and it's almost, again, it brings an element of dishonesty into my interactions with them because 
with every girl I interact with that I have some kind of motive. So if I want to have sex with them, if I want to date them, I know that in the, you know, I, God knows what their motives are, but I know my motive in this situation isn't pure. Um, and that changes the way you communicate with them and interact. Yeah. 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 As, as you, as you are yeah, um, yeah, yeah. with them. Yeah. Um, so I lose any kind of authenticity I have because I know character. Yeah. Because I want power. I don't really want sex from them. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I do, but I want it in so far as for me, having sex with them means I have power over them. And that is really what I want is to feel powerful and feel better about myself and feel stronger because I feel generally speaking, I feel not good enough in almost all the situations in my life. So in work, in friendships in relationships in academically, I always feel not good enough. So I need something to make me feel good enough or better or whatever it is. And at the moment, the thing I'm using is sex and relationships and has been for the last few years. Hmm. So you got honest there, mate. Now, it's on a, well, it's interesting because you're you're saying you're saying out loud that you need to get honest about it. When when we speak about it, you're being honest about it. Yeah. But then there's something just you know, something you haven't quite tapped into yet. To probably the solution side of it, I don't think I've really applied a solution to it. Yeah. Um. And I'm not sure if I'm done with this behaviour yet. What will it? I mean, this is what I ask. This is what I ask anyone that's struggling with something. What will it take for it to become a solution that you need to be seeking? You know, what? What's the? Is there a a point where you're like that? No more of this. I don't know because like I've had points where I've been like, this is enough. Like I can't deal with this. I don't know. I I hope that it won't. It won't be something like life-changing like yeah yeah something bad happens at work or um i you know i i do some damage to someone in a relationship context i've done that in the past where i've seriously damaged someone to the point where they were claiming uh being suicidal and all that kind of stuff and i hope it's not going to be that type of scenario Mm -hmm. um to be honest, like it's the the thing that will change, and it was it's always the same thing, and it was the same with my eating disorder, and it was the same with drugs. I get to a place where I am sick and bored of it, like just sick of it, and I think that will be the thing because I like you know when you you only get to a stage where you're sick of your own bullshit. Yeah, yeah. That's that was that was the thing that happened with my eating disorder and with drugs. I got to a stage. I always try. It's interesting whenever I share about the when I stopped using, I would try and fit it into a narrative that's quite potentially a little bit dramatic or like it, but it really wasn't. It was, it was almost like my using was obviously bad, but it was almost like I got to a stage where I was like, I'm fucking sick of lying to myself that I'm, I'm making this better. I'm mm. really not making this better and, and I'm not going to. And I know that, that, I know that if I say that now, it just feels so hollow. So I think that's the thing. That's the point I need to get to. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And um, more or less, hopefully sooner rather than later. And hopefully it doesn't end up being um, when something more dramatic might happen. I I don't know. It sounds like you're nearly there anyway. I think I feel like I've been teetering on the brink for the last year, two years, maybe. Mm. 
So I guess that kind of like could tie in with a good question that that I can respond to as well after you. And that's kind of, so we've established what was the turning point into us becoming the fantastically honest individuals that we are today. And we should have statues made of us for how honest we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, today, day by day, how is the, the, the changing steps affecting how you live honestly today? I mean, I kind of had a glimpse of it just then. But it doesn't, not everything in life is to do with relationships and sex. So there's going to be other, th- you know, I, the fact that you, yeah, go to meetings and you're, you're very, you know, you come across very authentic in meetings. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite easy to be honest in meetings, though, isn't it? Because you have yeah. to be honest there. And again, it's a waste of time, isn't it? If you're sharing and you're being dishonest, what, what's the point? Yeah. So I always, I always think when I'm in meeting, when, when I'm in meetings and when I'm sharing, that tends to be when I'm at my most honest. Or maybe when I'm interacting with my sponsor and step work is probably when I'm my most honest. But in meetings, it's always like, if you're not sharing honestly, why? You, what's the point? Okay. Yeah. No. Well, exactly. There's no point because people can kind of in those rooms can pick it up from. Yeah, Mark, yeah. Right? You can tell when someone's full of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so applying that to day to day interactions because I know. I know what I think I do and what I don't do and how I have honestly play out in my day to day. Yeah. Um, but I was wondering, you know, you meet someone new or you're with a group of mates or, yeah. you know, you're with your family. Are you relatively just open, an open book now, or do you still hide things from people? Cause a good question would be, are you fairly, fairly anonymous about yourself with obviously not with a microphone in front of your mouth, mm. but, about recovery yeah or just you know nah, everyone knows i'm in recovery yeah i'll happily be honest about that that's that's easy to be honest about yeah particularly if you've got a few years like we do you like people will commend you if like the response we would get from people if you would rather than say oh yeah i'm four and a half years clean if we said we're four and a half weeks clean we probably get a less favorable response than we do i would imagine yeah um so i, I don't really have any issue with talking about that and also like Drugs are like an excuse almost to like, if you've done shitty things, it's like, oh, I, well, I was fucking on drugs. Of course I did shitty things. I was fucking on drugs. Yeah, yeah. Um, I find it much more difficult to be honest about stuff that's happened in recovery that I'm not proud of. That's, that's why I think the relationship stuff causes me so much shame is because most of the damage I've done in relationships has taken place over the last four and a half years, um, which is a difficult thing to say because I have no excuse. I had, well, I don't have the excuse of inebriation or uh, loss of kind of awareness that perhaps drugs or alcohol would offer me in those situations because I, I consciously knew what was going on and what I was doing in those situations. And whether, whether it was my addiction playing out or not is kind of irrelevant. I understand what addiction is and I understand how it works. So if, if I'm allowing it to play out, that means I'm not applying a program to it. But in day-to-day interactions, I'm, I'm generally speaking, I'm very honest, but it depends on the context, depends on my mood on the given day. Yeah. Um, work is a difficult place to be honest and authentic, such a difficult place because you effectively, you know, being me sitting in a meeting going, what you just said is absolute bullshit or whatever it is can affect my livelihood, my security, financial, my physical security of where I live. Um, so I have to temper my honesty in those situations. 
Um, but I, I don't find I don't find honesty or authenticity in particular roles that much of a challenge. I think I, I just find it more difficult, like one on like interacting with people on a general basis to because my my natural impulse is if I have a problematic thought or feeling that I'm ashamed of. Um, a good example of this is when uh, the past relationship I had with the girl from work um, that that really broke my heart. Um, I was so ashamed of the feelings I was having about that situation, how irrational it made me, how long it went on after the relationship ended um, and how much internal pain it caused, was causing me that I couldn't talk about it. And I, I was trying to kind of half-heartedly talk about it. Um, but after a while, I was like, I can't carry on telling people about this, about how much pain it's causing me, because now it's now it's past the point where people will be understanding. Um, so I found myself much probably holding on to that much longer than I needed to, because I had that fear of people people seeing this internal condition I had of... I'm in real pain after the end of this relationship. And I feel ashamed that I'm still in pain about this relationship. Aha. Did you, in that period of time, because that's pretty much when I met you. Yeah, yeah, I met, was, yeah. And that's, that's almost what we bonded on, was like, I had been where you were. Yeah. So we were talking a lot. Um, but in that period of time, were you owning up to the fact that you, you said pain, but were you saying, I'm sad, I'm angry? Were you no. labeling it as bluntly as? No, I was, I was mulling over what had happened in the end of the relationship. I was yeah. trying to the events. Yeah. yeah, I was trying to figure it all out. I was trying to like pinpoint exactly where I'd gone wrong, where she'd gone wrong, where it had gone wrong. Um, things that I'd done or said, things that she'd done. Like I was obsessed with that whole kind of period. Mm. Um, and I can still get obsessed by that period as well. Like it's not as strong, certainly not as strong as it used to be, but it can still grab a hold of me when I'm feeling, uh, negative or tired or stressed or lonely. And it's interesting how you can pick, like when I'm in those situations, I can pick like a greatest hits of miserable events. Oh yeah. You're just like, I'll just pluck out the, the you know, all my favorite bits to beat myself up with. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, but no, I wasn't doing that. I wasn't doing that at all. It's interesting. Mm. Yeah, to to go on like a montage of the event because I still do that. Yeah, and it's really hard because I think as soon as you can label how you're feeling about something, then you can really that's like a template base base for okay. Now I can be that real legit honesty yeah. that we talk you talked about when you're writing stuff down yeah you know? and and what i think is a real good sign that uh, i'm doing okay is when i'm at that note of honesty with myself where it's like i'm i'm hurting right now i'm sad yeah um and then i can start to look at why i'm sad and that's really hard to do to be able to be like i'm sad because this has happened yeah 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 and I need this to evolve in this way yeah. rather than, because uh, it becomes a moan, doesn't it? It becomes yeah, a whine yeah, yeah. and a moan and a deflection of the feelings. And I'm like, so-and-so is doing this and then why can't I have this? And they've got that. And it's yeah, yeah, yeah. woe is me. Um, but yeah, I, 
it's, there's so many things that come to mind when I'm thinking about this stuff because today is such a different story for me. Yeah. I'm incredibly honest. I try to be anyway, but it's almost gone uh, into a really bizarre direction and I've established this for my sponsor and I'm trying to... I think I've worked on it now enough, but he... That's why sponsors are great when you speak to them on the phone. Yeah. So I lied for so long that now I'm trying not to do it. It feels like if I'm not completely open with every single person I meet all the time, it doesn't matter if it's at work and it's just a customer that comes in. If I'm not telling them everything that's on my mind, then I'm lying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When that's not true, because no one's asked to know what's going on for me in my personal life. I'm just blurting it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's like, if I'm not, if I'm not open about it, then I'm lying. Yeah. When that's not the case. Yeah. And I can't help myself. So that's almost the other end of it, where it's yeah. like, how do I filter that so I can be interacting with p- new people and I can just be present? And what I've learned through that is, <laughs> it's strange how it all ties in, to deflect, deflecting the conversation onto them. Yeah. And then I can start to become by become honest with myself by saying i know what's happening with me i know where i'm at i don't know about them yeah so just saying how are you what have you been doing speak about you know how's your job yeah. where are you from all these questions like yeah and then and then you start to become more empathetic towards other people because i'm not just constantly thinking about myself yeah that's my ex who's in recovery who you know used yeah. to say um because I used to have that experience as well of wanting to tell everyone I met every single thing about myself and feeling like I'd failed if I didn't. Uh, she used to say, it's it's about, it's not dishonesty, it's discernment. Oh, yeah. When you don't tell someone certain things about yourself, you are being discerning. You're not being dishonest. And it's important to learn discernment because not everyone deserves or is entitled to hear about what's going on for you, if that makes sense. Yeah, like, that's good. not they're uh, not in like an arrogant way of oh, you don't deserve to hear my truth or whatever it is but like if you just met someone you haven't really they haven't really earned your trust and likewise you haven't earned their trust but so you should be discerning about what you tell those people mm. I think like early recovery is a re- a, like a real testing ground for learning those boundaries as well isn't it where you're like because I remember telling people I was in recovery and then regretting telling those people later on just being like I don't actually I, I prefer that person not to know I'm in recovery yeah just based on something I've observed in them or, or whatever it is um, but you learn that don't you you have to learn about boundaries in terms of yeah your boundaries and and, um, and what what actually sits comfortable with you and and, and, and it, you know we don't have enough time to go go into this kind of world of it but within that and learning to be honest with yourself yeah. and not just not just taking ownership, saying, I'm an addict, I use drugs, I robbed from people, I've yeah. got pain I need to own up to and and look at. There's also things where it's like overworking yourself, for example. Because, yeah. you know, nowadays it's like I'm, I'm, I'm not staying up late. My, my, my addictions and my habits come in weirder forms. It might be like overworking, it might be like overspending yeah. or yeah. overeating or whatever. Uh, well, not really overeating. I'm very critical of my eating, which might be another thing in itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just, um, 
pushing it, you know, it's push. I push myself really hard and I'm really tough on myself mm. and, and there's real learning. And I hope this kind of connects with someone who's listening to say, it's okay. And this is what people say to me all the time. It's okay to not be at a hundred percent all the time. Yeah. If I'm tired, mm. if I've had a busy week, or if I'm just stressed, and it could be I'm stressed because I'm just <laughs> being honest with myself. Maybe maybe this week I've tapped into a lot of difficult emotions and I'm tired as a result. Yeah. Just being honest with myself and saying, I could probably do with a rest. And yeah. in the last episode, you spoke about that person that says, uh, oh, I, maybe I need to have a lie down or something like yeah, that. Yeah, the, the woman in the... Um NA Hollywood meeting who was talking about her CBT therapist husband. I think we should all get CBT therapist husbands. I think that'd be sick. Just like, just free CBT all the time. But yeah, she was talking about... I put that into practice the other day. Yeah. It's so useful. Trying to be honest with myself. Yeah. Feeling that, that bubble of your now reaching exhaustion. You know, I'd I'd had a busy morning. Then I got back and had therapy. And you know, I'd I'd done all these things, this, this Mm. and that. Uh, and then I had therapy and then after therapy I'd opened up about some things and I was just flat yeah and I was remembered that conversation with you uh, and I said to myself I was honest and said I'm tired I can't do much more I know it's only three o'clock in the afternoon yeah I need to have a lie down Mm. and just doing that and having that kind of honesty with myself as a result allowed me to feel a bit more love for myself yeah um which i guess if i'm going to get super spiritual and hippy dippy about it Mm. being dishonest with yourself and hiding the truth from yourself is not being loving towards yourself Mm. when you're honest with yourself you can see that maybe you need to have a sit down you need to have a lie down or you need to go for a walk or you need to call someone or you need to just have a break from whatever you're doing yeah uh, like burnout like work burnout and stuff yeah. like that these are all things that are kind of or like for me when I've eaten too much food yeah and I'm like but there's still dessert yeah yeah <laughs> it's interesting actually because we haven't really talked about it is that kind of like spiritual or health benefits of being honest because yeah. I genuinely believe there is a health and spiritual benefit that well there's definitely a spiritual benefit but I believe there's a health benefit to being, I think people who have lots of dishonesty in their lives, um, I think they do themselves a mischief because you don't understand the pressure you put on your body by carrying a psychological load of, uh, you know, things that you're carrying that you don't, you can't tell people, you can't express. And it's like, it's like psychological load, a load is the right kind of term for it. I think you start, I notice when I, from that experience of sharing all that stuff from my fourth step into um, on my doing my fifth step with my sponsor and noticing that load lift, I don't think people notice how much they're actually carrying, mm. how much stuff they're actually f- like, and it, and it has a physical impact. Well, so recently, uh, without going into details, there's a, a couple of things, and this happens year in, year out, month in, every few months this happens. There'll be something I hold on to, and uh, a couple of things that I know that I need to be honest about with somebody or talk about with somebody or uh, an action I need to take, and I'll just be 
procrastinating on it and I'll start to build it up. And someone said to me recently, you don't want to hold on to that for too long. Otherwise, you'll make it worse in your own head and you'll start overthinking it. And funnily enough, they were correct. It started building up and building up and building up. And when I eventually did it, in this process, I was like losing sleep. I I didn't, you know, I was, I was maybe exercising too much or I was eating too much or I was drinking too much coffee. It was like the distractions, too much screen time, uh, not enough self-care and, and recovery stuff. All this to procrastinate against just going and doing this thing I needed to do when I eventually did it and it was really anticlimactic. And then I was just like, oh, oh okay, it's fine then. Then it's like... Whew, just shattered i remember when i did when i did the thing i needed to do straight afterwards and just weight off my shoulders i just went and had a nap yeah 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 because i've been holding on to the 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 kind of supposed mental burden of this like hiding this information that i need to be yeah uh sharing and um yeah so you're i i think that's spot on and it, it you know in the, have you ever watched the it crowd yeah when there's that joke about stress and people dying from stress and there's like, he's clicking his fingers. He's like, another one. Another oh, the one. Your boss and yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, every minute a person dies of stress yeah. and it's like a joke. But yeah. when you think about, not that I'd ever die from stress, mm. but when you really, <laughs> you hold on to that stuff, mm. it affects elements of your life that you could really could do with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> That's always where my, my life always goes to shit when I'm hanging on to lots and lots of stuff. That's that's when I find things most difficult. It's when yeah. I've got loads of stuff. I'm kind of loads of mental plates. I'm kind of jiggling my head that I'm not really addressing or talking about. That's when I feel the most kind of fucked upness, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it really doesn't matter how long you meditate for, how much, uh, how many meetings therapy people yeah. you talk to ultimately you've got to do the thing that you need to do uh and it could be really subtle or it could be really and sometimes you just got to put your hands up and say this is out of my control and that can be the action that you yeah, yeah, yeah. you or i need to take sharia um do you want to wrap it up there sure okay uh well this is yeah this has been episode three of the probably honest podcast i hope you've enjoyed this episode talking about unrelenting honesty i feel like this episode has been unrelentingly honest i feel like you've opened up some stuff Mm. and it's been good i've been a closed book definitely (laughs) but you've learned boundaries and discernment I'm, I still struggle with... Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Taking action on boundaries, but I'm getting there. I think I, I, think I do more than I realise I do. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what we'll talk about next episode, but that will... be a surprise. It'll be a surprise. It'll be in a Christmas special surprise <laughs> in... In August. August. Well, it's August now. I don't know when this would be out. September, October. This isn't live. This isn't live. Dan, you're ruining the magic. On BBC Radio 1. (laughs) Um, But yes, as per usual, we'll put some hopefully valuable links to things that have helped us or we find to be potentially helpful. Uh, Oh yeah, I bought uh, Russell Brand's Recovery. Um, 
cracking on with the book The Path, which I highly recommend, looking at, um, you know, old ancient philosophers mm. like uh, like Confucius. Oh, the man himself. The man. Yeah, yeah. The big dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyways, so yeah, we'll, we'll put some links of recommended readings or uh, groups, fellowships, help charities, things like that, uh, that we might find beneficial. And we hope that you're all doing well and that you're starting to learn how to be more like us. <laughs> God, if only, if only everyone was more like us. <laughs> that was a joke. Please. Dan was joking, I wasn't. No. If everyone was more like me, then we'd have a really erratic, overthinking nation. <laughs> everyone would be really concerned all the time. <laughs> <laughs> everyone is really concerned all the time yeah and we could do with some more fantastic blonde DJs that don't get any gigs and no money yeah, yeah. that's why I'm clean Dan is a blonde DJ just so <laughs> are you really a DJ him. if you don't earn any money from it it's, it's a great question I'm someone that has decks mm. <laughs> there you go I'm a deck owner <laughs> blonde hair with blonde hair Although some people say I'm ginger, but they're wrong. <laughs> anyway, uh, catch you on the next episode. Ciao for now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 